Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Kings chapter 7 tonight. 2 Kings 7. We're so glad you're here. Folks are making their way in from discipleship and making their way to church. We're praying for this service tonight to glorify and please God. 2 Kings 7 verse 1. If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, take a moment to share your Bible with them and help them find their place if you would please. 2 Kings 7 verse 1. Right. Then Elisha said, hear ye the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned and answered the man of God. And he said, behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, that's Elisha speaking. And he said, behold, thou shalt see it with thine eye, but thou shalt not eat thereof. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. And they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, then famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, still here, we die also. Now, therefore, come and let us fall into the, ho- the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And so but they rose in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the hosts of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. That wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and they fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went in one tent and did eat and drink and carried then silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it. And they came again and into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Can you imagine those men, how excited they were? There was nobody there. They had all the money and food that they wanted. I mean, what a, what a wonderful thing if you're, if you're a leper, amen? And verse 9 said, Then they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a, is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come, that we may go and tell the king's household. I draw your attention down back to verse 3. These uh, men asked a question. And by the way, just a good study for you if you just want a good Bible study is to study all the questions of the Bible. Amen? And uh, questions just kind of bring us to place and make us just ask, ask ourselves, well, how would I answer this question? And they asked themselves this question. These men were in a very terrible situation as far as their health condition was concerned. And they asked the question, why sit we here until we die? And we want to kind of look at that tonight as, as we look at the study this evening for God to speak to our hearts. Now, Father, this evening, again, we're praying that you would just take tonight to refresh us and renew us and speak to our hearts, recharge our spiritual batteries, speak to our consciences tonight and uh, get us ready, Lord, for this coming weekend, for a great weekend of God pouring out your spirit and your power upon Heritage Baptist Church. And we pray that the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, would be made a big thing, Lord, throughout this community. And uh, we pray that you'll be glorified in all these things we commit to and pray for now, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Sometimes we're in the Philippines, Dr. Ed Lorraine will look at his congregation and ask this question, are you hungry? And uh, sometimes I look at our congregation and ask the same question, are you hungry? You know, and uh, as we look at our subject tonight, our subject this evening is about hunger. Notice tonight that we are looking at miracle number 13. 
Miracle number 10 in the life of Elisha. Miracle number 10 was the swimming axe head in chapter 6. Miracle number 11 was the opening of the eyes of the servant of Elisha. We saw that the last time we were in this passage of Scripture. Miracle number 12, at the same, the same occurrence, was the blinding of the eyes of the Syrian army and then reopening again. Miracle number 13, God works through the hands of Elisha, is how God averts a food and a hunger crisis. Now, I know that the hunger and starvation crisis was a big deal, but as I started studying for the message, I didn't realize how big it is if the statistics are true. They say that one out of nine people, and the majority of them are children, if you imagine, one out of nine people in this world are starving. That represents 800 million people in the world that are in starvation. Of course, a large number of that population are, are in war-ravaged nations where there's uh, maybe terrorism and things like that going on. And, and we get this from this, these numbers from relief workers who've done some surveying and things of that na- nature. But many war-dictator-ravaged countries have among the highest concentration of starving people. Uh, when you hear all the news about North Korea and all the bad things there, always remember that behind all that, there's a large population of people in North Korea that are starving. Um, we look at this tonight. I know, want you to notice this evening we see a situation, be going back to chapter 6, verse 24. You want to put your finger there, where there's a great famine in the land of Israel. It affects mainly Israel. It affects mainly the city of Samaria. And they're going through a time of hunger, a hunger crisis, starvation, and the people are trapped. And we'll look at that in just a moment there. And while I'm very sympathetic to the starvation plight of many suffering from starvation, I want us to remember that the greatest need of man... The greatest need of man is the feeding of his soul. The greatest need of man is deliverance from soul starvation. I want us to remember, though, we need to take care of the physical needs of people. And we ought to have a bread pantry. And we ought to have food pantries. And we ought to collect food and help people. I remind you, man's greatest need is not more food for his stomach. Man's greatest need is food for his soul. They need the bread of life for their soul and the water of life for their soul. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, is the bread of life who feeds every hungry soul. And he's the water of life who satisfies every hungry soul. And we're thankful tonight. And we're thankful as we read the story tonight that it has a happy conclusion. We're thankful that, that the starvation crisis is met and the hunger crisis is met. And it's not met by men. It's not met by a World Health Organization. It's met by God himself. But beyond the starvation situation, we see four unsung heroes, four men, four lepers who are used of God to help the city of, of Samaria find a solution to the starvation and hunger problem. That's an amazing thing. Four men who were not recruited, but four men who found their way, found this situation, were used of God to cure a starvation problem. And they asked the question in verse 3, why sit we here until we die? And that's a good question for us to ask, because tonight as we go outside the walls of Heritage Baptist Church, we have a world that is starving for the gospel, a world that is hungry for what Jesus can do in their lives. And we must ask ourselves the same question as these men who had the good fortune of finding food and raiment and silver and those things. And they asked the question after they got to the second tent. Why sit we here until we die? I want you to see three key biblical insights at work in this passage of Scripture. Three key biblical insights that at work in this Scripture. Go back to chapter 6 with me tonight. And first we'll notice in verses 24 to 33, we see a city that is encircled. A city that is encircled. Notice we see a continuation where we left off. In chapter 6, last time we were in this passage, we saw where the Syrians had, had circled around Samaria... And, or actually the city of Dothan and, and Samaria, where, where Elisha was, actually the city of Dothan, Elisha's servant saw it, he was scared to death about it. 
God, Elisha said, fear not, they that are with us are more than they that be with them. And then Elisha prayed. And he prayed for this young man. He said, God, open his eyes that he may see. And when the young man opened his eyes again, he saw a host, the Lord's host, circling around, around Elisha, and that Elisha was saved. And Elisha went out and he prayed again. And he prayed for the Syrian army that God would blind them. And God did blind them. And amazingly, they were all blinded. And it was kind of, a, 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 kind of to me, it's kind of a comical that uh, Elisha goes out and he says, well, the place you want to go follow me and i'll take you to it and he led them all the way of maybe a 12 mile walk all the way from dothan down to the city samaria he leads them to samaria they open their eyes and he prays for them to open their eyes and god opens their eyes they realize in samaria and they're stuck there's there's Is- israeli soldiers all around them and instead of slaughtering them they the 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 jews exercise kindness to them and they feed them food and water and things of that, that, that nature to take good care of them and you would think after that situation as we conclude notice in verse 23 it says it says the bands of syria came no more into the land of israel you would think from that that point that they would they would have well received the jews and said well you know what they treated us well we'll leave them alone we're not going to bother. But that's not how they were thinking. Because as we get to verse 24, the Bible says, and it came to pass after this. We must always remember we're always in movement. We're always in traction. Something new will always happen. No matter how today ends, tomorrow is a new day. And it's, the Bible says it came to pass after this that Benadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his hosts and went up. And notice the key word that the English translators, the English King James Version translators use. They used the word besiege. In other words, they encircled the entire city. Besieging means they encircled it or encamped around it to such a degree. There was no way out. There was no way in except through them. And there was no way out. If any Jew went outside the city of Samaria, they had to come face to face with the Syrian. The Bible says they besieged that city. And so Samaria is not very, the, the city of Samaria now is, is literally in a captive situation. They're affected very adversely. And do we want to see some things there about this? Samaria under siege, as we'll see, is a vivid picture of what happens when we are not spiritually vigilant about our lives and the devil comes along incrementally while we're not paying attention and he circles us and cuts off our needy supplies. Notice certain things that happen with this city that is encircled. Notice in verses 24 to 25, we see the diminished provision. Verse 24 says, and it came to pass after this that Benadad, king of Syria, gathered all his hosts, and he went up and besieged Samaria. Notice verse 25. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore, or if you would, eighty pieces of silver, and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. Notice we see a great famine. The city is encircled. There's no way in there's no way out. Israel cannot get access to their water ducts. They cannot get access to their crops. They cannot go out to their farmlands. They cannot go out to their vineyards. Their farming has stopped. The livestock is stranded out there. The Jews are stuck inside the city. They are in a famine situation. The city was encircled. They were cut off from everyone else out there. A great famine arises. There's starting to be a food shortage. They're declining in, in, in supplies there. Now we read about a great famine. It means a famine of such epic proportion. They had never experienced anything like this before notice how terrible this famine was the bible says they got to the place where they were they were selling the body parts of animals that they typically would throw away they would take the head of a donkey and they would boil it perhaps for soup or something to there or try to find some means of protein off that donkey's head i don't even know how you could find that but they sold it for 80 pieces of silver and then the bible references uh this matter says 
They said that they uh, they paid a fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. Now, cab's dung, uh, if you want, uh, a dove's dung was kind of a, a very, very scornful way of talking about coarse corn or, or basic lentils. It was talking about the basic uh, food sources that the people relied upon. It was kind of considered poor man's food, if you would, the least of the least of the least of the least. And the Bible says they took whatever rations they could get and they would take a fourth part of that for five pieces of silver. I mean, I don't know about you, but this is a very, very bad situation you think it's bad when you're hungry and you go to your pantry and there's not even a can of soup there's not even a package of ramen noodles amen there's not even crackers there and you're scrounging around and you find a bag of, of uh, open potato chips that your younger brother probably opened never finished off and they're stale you know what i'm saying i mean you think that's bad or you think it's bad that maybe your mother bought you a box of goldfish crackers and you're looking thinking there's something in there and you shake it there's only one cracker there and the cracker is as stale as two years old amen i mean do we think that's bad and we say we're starving amen but they had it bad. I mean, we have given a very vivid, vivid picture of this starvation situation, this famine situation. But notice something else tonight. Notice this, this famine. We see the situation. But notice the famine symbolically. The famine symbolically speaks to you and me about the Christian life. When we leave our lives idle, what happens when Satan comes along and encircles our life? Brother and sister in Christ, we must be very real. Satan is a very live living uh, uh, enemy who seeks to encircle you and me. He wants to cut us off. He wants to cut off our food source. He wants to cut off our water supply. He wants to cut us off from the word of God. You watch this. If Satan encircles you, he's trying to keep you from God's word. When Satan encircles you, he wants to keep you from the water of life. He wants you to keep you from having revival. I will tell you sure as we're sitting here tonight, people watching my live stream, some for whatever reason they couldn't be here tonight. The Satan is working right now. So people are encircled. They are that they, they, they won't come to the revival service with Dr. Van Gelderen, and they'll be cut off from the food supply. Listen, you need, the, you need the food supply of God's Word. You need the infusion of the Holy Spirit. We need the breath of God upon our life so that we can be revived and replenished. Listen, a great famine is when we're living on little to nothing. The Bible says in Proverbs 19.15, Slothfulness catheth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. I wonder tonight, are you hungry? I wonder tonight, is your soul starving? I wonder tonight, if we even recognize that maybe Satan has encircled us and put a circle around us, and we've been cut off from our praying, we've been cut off from our Bible reading, we're not really getting much out of the preaching of God's Word or out of Sunday school there. And I wonder tonight, if we're at this place where when we're spending our money for that which is not bread, and we labor for that which satisfieth not. We see tonight this situation where there's diminished provision. The provisions were declining. But notice secondly, verses 26 to 29, we see the desperate practices. You see, when Satan encircles us, and we're living on, down, we're down to nothing, and our food sources are cut off, and the word of God is not abounding in our hearts, and uh, we're, we're not praying. Watch what happens. It's not long before that encirclement leads you and me to possibly engaging in desperate practices. Now, it's bad enough they sold a donkey's head for 80 pieces of silver. Amen? It's bad enough they took a cab of dove's dung and sold it for five pieces of silver. Amen? That's bad. But I want you to notice verses 26 to 29. It gets even worse than that. The people resort to desperate practices. And notice what happens here. It says in verse 26, As the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help! My Lord, O King. Now, understand this tonight. You might want to put this in your Bible. The king being spoken of there is King Jehoram. 
King Jehoram is an evil king. In fact, you read later on in these verses here in verse uh, verse 31 or 32, Elisha describes him as the son of a murderer. That's how terrible this young man is. Jehoram was a man that was double-minded. He was unstable in all his ways. Jehoram was glad that Elisha was there when the, when he got a solution. But when the solution didn't come, he was angry with Elisha. Jehoram was not a solution for the kingdom. Jehoram, through all the things God did, all the miracles he saw, and he saw quite a few of them, Jehoram never repeated repented and got his heart right with God. And listen, you can live in the midst of revival. You can be in the midst of a revival church. You can be in the midst of a church where souls are being saved. You can be in the midst of a church where prayers are being answered. You can be in the midst of a church where God's word is powerful working life and still nothing happens in your life because we can adopt the Jehoram attitude and think, well, I don't need to respond to that. And we're going to see some things about Jehoram in a minute that are very startling. And notice this man, Jehoram, is walking on the wall, and a woman cries out to him. I mean, things are so bad. Watch this. Things are so bad, nobody's praying. They're so desperate, they say, help, O king, can you help us? They didn't need the king's help. They needed God's help, amen? They needed God to intervene for them. And she says, help, O king, if you would. And notice his sarcasm in verse 22, verse 27. He says, if the Lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? Now, he had a lot of common sense to realize... He says, you know, well, listen, if God can't help you, what can I do for you? That's a good thought, amen? And notice he talks about the, the depleted provision. He says, he says, out of the barn floor, or out of the wine press. What he's basically saying there, the barn floor and wine press were their grains and, and, their, and their grapes and things like that. He says, basically, it's depleted. We have nothing less there. It's diminished. We don't have anything there. And so the king answered, well, what, what ailing thee? What's your problem, lady? What, what's going on there? And uh, what he would about what he's going to hear was something he would never imagine hearing uh, 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 th- at that time. And she answered, "This woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow.' Now I don't know about you, but just reading that just kind of sends chills up my spine because these women had gotten to the place so desperately. They said, "Well, look, we got two baby sons. Let's do this. Let's boil both our sons. You give your son tonight. You boil your son tonight. We'll eat him. That'll take care of our need. We'll boil my son tonight." So the lady says this. This is what she told me. And it's verse 29, she said, so we boiled my son and we did eat him. And by the way, when she's saying this, there's no remorse in her voice. There's no conscience about what she's doing there. She's not even sad that she would do that to her. I, mean, I don't know about you, but I can't imagine any mother doing that to her child there. And she says there, and then she said, I said to her on the next day, give me thy son, give thy son that we may eat him. And she has hid her son. I want you to notice how desperate the practices are. When we get to a place in our life where Satan has surrounded us and our food supply is cut off and the word of God is cut off and prayer is cut off and we're not, we're not thinking rashly. You know what happens is kind of what I've said many times before. When we get this path where we just get used to sin. There, we get this place where there's no shame, there's no stopping, and there's no sense. No shame, no stopping, no sense. And notice what's happening here. The people got to such a desperate place, they were doing things that normally they wouldn't do. But I want to tell you something. When you and I get the place where we're not near God's Word, we get the place where we're not praying, we get the place where we're laissez-faire about church and we're idle with our soul, we too can come to be finding ourselves practicing desperate things. We find ourselves doing desperate things just to stay ahead. People do desperate things just to pay their bills. People do desperate things just to save their marriage. People do desperate things to to whatever, to salvage their lives. And notice these two mothers there. The only thing they were concerned about was their own survival. They cannibalized their own children. Listen, desperate practices puts relegates people to a secondary or triary level where we don't even care about the needs of other people. And even to the place, if we're not very careful, we cannibalize one another just for our own advantage.
advantage there. They were going through desperate advantages there. Listen, tonight, we must understand when we live in a spiritual starvation condition and our souls are empty of truth and we've not been drinking from the springs of living water and we've not been eating from the bread of heaven, we become people who execute desperate practices. Our family priorities are upside down. Our spiritual priorities are upside down. Our interaction with other people become cannibalistic. Listen to what Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. For brethren, you have been called into liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Notice verse 15. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. When we get down to that level, we're biting and devouring one another. We're, we're into desperate practices. But notice something else tonight. We see... We see these the provisions being diminished and we see desperate practices. But you notice verses 30 to 33 very quickly. Notice we see a disillusioned perception. Verse 30, it says, when, and it came to pass when the king heard the words of this woman, that he rent his clothes. I want you to notice very carefully. And he passed by upon the wall and the people looked and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. Did you catch that? When people wore sackcloth on the outside, they wore to depict repentance. Whenever someone put on sackcloth, it was an external clothing. Do you notice Jehoram? Jehoram was wearing sackcloth underneath his garments. And he wanted to give the pretense to people as he walked on the wall, ostentatiously saying, well, look, I, I rent my garment. You can see my sackcloth. And where he had his sackcloth is a picture to us of us when we practice false repentance. And false repentance, if you would, false repentance is when we want the benefit of repentance without the actions that are necessary. You see, we want to wear our repentance on the inside. We think, well, I don't need to do it publicly. I'll do it privately. Listen, there's a reason why that there's certain things about sin and about our lives and revival that there must be public repentance about what we do. And when we get to the place, we're too proud to kneel before God and stand before the God of heaven and say, God, I'm repenting of my sin. And say, well, I'll just do it privately over here in the closet over there. I'll do it privately over here in my home. What we're really doing, we're practicing like Jehoram. We're wearing our sackcloth underneath, but we're really not telling people we're truly repentant in our heart. He wanted to have the king's garment while he at the same time, he had the, he had the, the, the sackcloth underneath. He wasn't truly repentant. He wanted to give the pretense of that, but he really wasn't repentant. Beloved, I want to tell you tonight, there is no revival without repentance. And I want to tell you tonight, there is no conversion without repentance. We must have repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you tonight, you're never going to have your marriage restored if you're at odds with your spouse if there's not repentance. And we're never going to have not rightness with God and rightness with other people if there's no repentance there. And Jehoram was wearing his pretentious on the inside when he needed to wear it both on the inside and the outside. And notice in verse 31, we now see a false repentance. Notice a frustrated reprimand. He's angry with Elijah. He's going on the wall. He's trying to get some sympathy. He realizes that people are asking what to do about the problem. Hey, guess what? If you're leadership, the buck stops with you. Amen. And people want you to come up with a solution. And they wanted to see, you know what they needed to see is a king that would pray. They needed to see a king that would lead them to revival. They needed to see a king that would lead them to Second Chronicles 7.14. As Solomon prayed, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and confess their sins, then will I hear from heaven and forgive them their sins and heal the land. But he wasn't leading them in that direction there. Notice the first thing he does, we get to verse 31 and 32. The first thing he does, and this happens to you and me too. First thing we do is we look at that situation. We have to find somebody to blame. 
He said, God do so more to me, God do so and more also to me. If the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall send him this day. You know what? He's angry at Elisha. Basically, here's where he's at. He went from being happy about Elisha, sparing them just a few days before by bringing the army of the Syrians to their camp. And he's probably thinking, you know, I should have never listened to that prophet. I should have never did what he said. I should have never exercised kindness. I should have been good to them because this is how they repay my kindness. This is how they repay my goodness. And now they're coming back and they circle us. They've cut off our food supply. And here I've got the situation. I've got citizens inside my city that are cannibalizing one another. This is how we get it. He said, I should have never listened to that preacher. And he's blaming Blaming Elisha for things. Listen, a preacher gets blamed for everything. He had to find somebody to blame. Brother, sister Christ, when things are going bad, the trials are difficult, and things are mounting up, the bills are mounting up, things are going wrong. You know what? There comes a time we need to exercise some scriptural character and say, Lord, I just take responsibility for myself. Amen? He sends an executioner out to go kill Elisha. And somehow along the way, God circumvents that and he sends another messenger out. And they hold the messenger in verse 33, verse 32 at the door. And and Elisha says this, he's sitting in his house with the elders and he he knows this coming on. He says, listen, he said, see this man here, he's coming. He said, an executioner, grab that man and hold him at the door. He says, the son of the murderer, he's talking about King Jerome, he's right behind him. And they take him by there, and they, they take this messenger there. Notice verse 33. While he yet talked with him, behold, the messenger came down unto him, and he said, Behold, this evil's of the Lord. What should I wait for the Lord any longer? I mean, everybody's frustrated with Elisha, and everybody's frustrated with God. And watch this now. We watch this situation is going to take a turn. Because we see a situation where the hunger and starvation crisis, the food being cut off, the encirclement by, by the Syrians upon them, they had all they could take. We see a city encircled. Before I go on, let me just say this tonight. We should identify in our lives, is there a possibility? that Satan has mounted an attack and he's trying to besiege our faith. Is, is, could it be possible that Satan is, is besieging our prayer time? Is it possible that Satan is besieging our Bible reading time? And our heart for God. And we see a city, we see a city that is encircled. But notice the second thing, verses 1 to 20 of chapter 7, very quickly. Notice we see a stewarded entrustment. I want you to notice we see a big problem in chapter 6 as we enter chapter 7. But as we enter chapter 7, we go from a big problem to a big God. Aren't you glad about that tonight? Amen. We see a big God with a big solution. We see the solution, the idea God has in mind is much bigger than anybody could have imagined. God has this thing under control. And God's going to turn this thing around. And we see an entrustment that is given to four men that they're being, being, being asked to, to be good stewards of. Notice in verses 1 and 2, it starts off with a special announcement. Elisha said, hear ye the word of the Lord. Aren't you glad at the most critical time for God's word? That's why I want to encourage you tonight. If you're not reading your Bible, you're not having devotion, you don't know what you're missing. You get up in the morning and I tell you, you don't know the answer you're going to get for that particular morning, a direction that God's going to give you. And that particular day when they had hit, when they just hit, hit rock bottom as bad as they could be, God gives them an announcement. Elisha says in chapter 7, verse 1, hear ye the word of the Lord. And I say tonight, he that hath an ear, let him hear. Amen. He says, thus saith the Lord. He says, tomorrow. And I want you to understand in verse 1, it's, it's it, what he's giving him here is it, he's giving them a word of promise. He's giving them a word of guarantee. 
He's given the word of relief. He's given the word of solution. He's giving them the word of God. He says, thus saith the Lord, tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. You know what he's saying there? God has this situation to control. God's going to take care of this food crisis. God's going to take care of this economic crisis. God's going to take care of this situation. You're going to go from bad food to good food. He says, tomorrow it's all going to change. He says, tomorrow a measure of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. He says, you just wait till tomorrow, 24 hours from now, starting from right now, 20 hours from, 24 hours from now, right in the entrance of the gate, the solution's going to be right before your eyes. You're going to be amazed at what God's going to do. God gave a special announcement through His Word. At that moment of time, God was at work. He said, food will be available, and food will be affordable, and God will meet your need. And I want to say tonight, whatever your trial is you're going through, and whatever difficulty you have, open God's precious Word and realize... God has a timely word for every situation we have. But notice in verse 2, wherever you have a word from God, you also have the word from the outspoken critic. <laughs> this man, in verse 2, happens to be the right-hand man of the king, King Jehoram. Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God is a sarcastic remark. It's an outspoken remark, a score from our member. Everyone in the kingdom has been experiencing famine. The Bible says in verse 2, The Lord in whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven. And by the way, there are windows in heaven. Amen. We know about that from Malachi 3.10. Amen. Amen. Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? No belief. Complete doubtfulness. If the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And Elisha responded to him by saying, Behold. And you might want to underline this tonight. Thou shalt see with thine eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. I want to tell you tonight, that's God's, that's God's answer to us if we don't have faith in God. That's God's answer to us if we don't obey God. That's God's answer to us if we have a skeptical, scornful heart and attitude towards God's word. That's God's answer to us. He says, you know what? I'll let you live long enough to see with your eyes, but you're not going to get the chance to taste it. You're not going to get a chance to experience it. You won't get a chance to go over the other side there. You're going to, you're going to see with your eyes, but you're not going to taste thereof. We see a special announcement. Notice very quickly in verses five to seven, we see a sovereign action. Now, I want you to notice as we skip over some verses, I want you to see God used Elisha to give them a word. Now, nobody really knew except Elisha what God was going to do in this whole process. All they knew is God was at work and God was going to solve this thing. All they know is he said tomorrow, he said a measure of fine flour shall be sold for so many shekels and something else will be sold for one shekel. He says that's what's going to happen. And we see this marvelous thing that God does. And I want you to go down with me. We know that there's four lepers. We read about that. There are four lepers that are sitting outside the gate of Samaria. They can't come into the city. They have leprosy. They're, They're unclean. They cannot come in the city. So these men are excluded. They're outside. They're outcasts. And so they're outside there and they're talking about what to do and they come to the conclusion, well, what we probably should do is we know we're in circle and uh, you know what? If we stay out here inside the gate of Samaria, we're going to die. And they said, it could be if we go inside the city, there's no food there, we're going to die. They said, well, you know, let's just use some common sense here. There's probably food down the Syrians. And they said, well, let's go down there and ask these guys if they'll give us some food and help us out there. And they said, worst case scenario, we're going to die there, die there. We might die there. Doesn't matter. We're going to die anyway, man. So these men said, we're just going to go and we're going to see what happens here. And they go down there and notice what happens here in verse 5. And they rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. Now you want to understand this. If the city is encircled by 
And it's a large city now. It's encircled by all the Syrians. Can you imagine? This is not a little, this is not a little campground. This is a huge encampment. You understand what I'm saying? It's large number of soldiers and people and tents there. I mean, there's a lot going on out there. There's, there could be as many as 50 to 100,000 soldiers that were there at one point. And they go out there and it's, and, it, and it's, it's quiet as a mouse. I mean, there's nobody there. There's nothing. There's no movement, no shuffling. There's no man there. And the Bible tells us what God did in this matter. Now, we, we must thank the Lord that God's ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. And God works in ways that we don't understand. And notice how God worked here in verse 6. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots. Now, I'll give you a secret. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've done this. Sometimes I pray for things. And sometimes I'll say, Lord, help them to hear exactly what they need to hear. And I'll say something like this, Lord, maybe they're hearing the wrong voice. I pray the Lord you'd open the ears so they can hear the right thing. And I believe Elisha had been praying and God was working. He made them to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, lo, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. They got scared. They heard the sound as the sound of war. They heard these chariots and horses coming. God made them hear that. They got scared and they said, we better run because if we don't get out of here, they're going to they're going to overcome us. So the Bible says in verse seven, wherefore they rose and fled in the twilight. I mean, this is just like minutes, maybe minutes, maybe an hour or two before the four lepers men got there. At the twilight, the Syrians had all taken off. They ran off. And the Bible says they fled in the twilight. They left their tents and their horses and their asses. They left all their animals behind, even the camp as it was, and fled for life. Now, when they set up camp, they set up camp, okay? They had food. They had provision. They brought their wealth. They knew they'd go in the city. They would buy and trade and sell. They brought silver and gold. I mean, they brought abundance. almost like they brought their whole house with them there. And the Bible says, when the lepers came to the utmost part of the camp, they went into one tent. They eat, drink, so forth there. Notice a sovereign action. God solved the encirclement crisis. Listen, there was nothing Israel had to do if they had just had faith in God. God solved the encirclement crisis. Can I help you tonight? Satan is great, but God is greater. May I help you tonight? Satan may cut off your Bible reading, but God will get you back in your Bible. Amen? And Satan might work and get you off your knees, but you can get back on your knees and pray again. Listen, God solved the encirclement crisis. Don't get the idea just because you're encircled that that's the end of it. God had to work on their behalf. God only solved the encirclement crisis. God solved the food crisis. God provided more than enough food. God would provide the solution, the action to solve the famine of food. So notice now we get to verse 4. We see a third thing. We see the Sovereign action, and we see a, we see the we see this 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 announcement, the special announcement. But notice, if you would, in verse four and verses eight to eleven, we see the surprising ambassadors. This is where, in, in the midst of all this. Four unsung heroes come out of nowhere. Now, these four men, I appreciate them. When I read about these four men, every time I read about them, I think about those four men in Mark chapter 2, those, those stretcher bearers that carried their, lay, their friend on a stretcher and brought them, brought this man to Jesus. You know, it just, I just, it just, I see the four and it just reminds me of just men working together and having common cause for the things of the Lord. And we see these ambassadors. Here we find four men sitting outside and they're sitting there and they finally come to this conclusion while God is working through all this and they said, uh, they said in verse 4, they look at each other one day in verse 3, and they said, why sit we here until we die? They said, you know what? We're starving too, and we're hungry too, and we know that there's no food in the city, and we know that we don't have any food there, and so at least at a minimum, maybe let's go down to see if the Syrians would just give us some food and have pity upon us. They'd look on us in our, in our leprous clothing and our leprous claws, and they would look at us and have pity on us. And they made a statement that's very stouting. They said, why sit we here until we die? They're saying this, let's get up and do something. 
Let's do something about the crisis. Let's take some risks. Let's, let's just go out and, you know, it may cost us our life, but let's do something. Why sit here until we die? And that's the same question of us tonight, brethren. Listen tonight. Let's take some risks. Why sit we here until we die? Why are we sitting idle? Why are we not doing more? Why, why don't we realize that today we have more tools and more opportunities and more avenues and more education to get the gospel out and touch more lives and reach more people? Why sit we here until we die? Why do we, why do we have to sit and soak? Why don't we get out, sit and, you know, let's go out and win some souls. Amen. Let's go out to do something for the Lord there. And these men are saying, why sit we here until we die? So they enter the camp of the Syrians and man, they find money and food and they clothing and, and it gets even better than that because as they, they're walking the pathway there. I mean, there's clothing all along the pathway there. And so in verse 8 and 9, notice what happens. Verse 8, they do like you and I would do. They started gathering. They're thinking, man, this is good. This is, this is good. There's nobody here to stop us. They've abandoned camp. Horses are tied, asses are tied. They're not coming back. There's no man in sight. And they're gathering all these things. Notice verse 8. They go from one tent to the other. And then notice verse 9. Then they said one to another. Somehow their consciences were pricked. They said, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings. We hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now, therefore, come that we may go and tell the king's household. You know what they're saying there? We've got it good. By the way, we've got it good. Amen? We've got it good, they said, and we've got food, and we've got, we've got more than enough, and we've taken, we've taken some silver and gold and clothing out of one tent, and then went to another tent, and we took some, and we took more than we need, and we went and hid it somewhere, and we're thinking, man, we've got more than we need there, and we're thinking, wait a minute, there's a bigger problem here. The whole, the whole area is in camp. There's no man here. There's no horses. There's nobody here to stop us. They said, we do not good. If we continue like this, it could be that God might judge us. It could be that this is not right. We need to go tell the city, the food, the people, the people in the city are still hungry. The people in the city are still starving. The people in the city need a food supply. The people in the city don't know there's a solution. The people in the city don't know there's a source of salvation. We do not good by staying here, they said. They said in verse time, they said, this is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. If we tarry to the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. So guess what they did? They immediately dropped everything they did and they went to the gate of the city and they called for the porter, the man who kept the gate. They said, okay, come over here. We got some news. And they tell this porter the news in verse 10. And they said, listen, we came to the camp of the Syrians and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of men, but horses tied and asses tied and the tents as they were. And he told the porters and they told it to the king's house. Hey, these men became special ambassadors. They became surprising ambassadors. They came and told an important message. The message they brought was a life saving message. What they brought saved that city. What they brought kept people from dying. What they did saved another mother from eating her son. What they did, they stopped another cannibalistic situation. They stopped the king from going into irrational behavior. They stopped people from desperate practices. They went over there and says, listen, we know something that you don't know and we want to get it to you as quickly as we can. We have a solution for the food crisis. Don't worry about the encirclement. The, the army's not there anymore. There's an abundance down there. You've got to come with us. Come down and we'll show you where it's at. Let me tell you tonight, we've got 72 hours before we have the Easter musical on Saturday night and we've got another, maybe another, another day or three or four days before Sunday morning before the Easter musical comes. And I'm going to tell you tonight, we've got some good things
things to have. We've got better than food. We've got Jesus. Amen. We've got better than water. We've got Jesus. We've got better than silver and gold. We've got Jesus. And I'm going to tell you tonight, we need to get off our, get off our lethargy and get off our reasons why we can't do it and our excuses saying, let somebody else do it. And we've got to be like these four leprous men. We're not worried about the title. We're not worried about the name. We're not worried about the recognition. We just know there's some people in that city that need to know there's food and water that God can give them right now. Brother, I don't know about you. We ought to get excited that we get an opportunity to talk about the resurrection this weekend. Amen. Greatest miracle that ever occurred. Amen. Listen, are you excited about it? I tell you, the Old Testament prophets were excited. Job saw it. Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. I tell you, Abraham was excited about it. He offered Isaac on the altar. The Bible says he accounted that, that God would raise him from the dead. Even Jonas, he was in the belly of the whale. I think he somehow knew because he was a prophet of God. He somehow knew. I somehow, I think I'm going to be a sermon illustration in the New Testament. Amen. We've got a city that's starving. I took four of our men on Monday. And I, they didn't even know who the others were. Took one at 11, went an hour and a half. Took one at one, went an hour and a half. Took a two-hour break because I need to catch my breath. <laughs> went again at four. Went again at 5.30. I'm going to tell you what, we got probably about 500 flyers out and we talked to hundreds of people about coming to church. Burned up some shoe leather. Exhausted that day. Walked eight miles doing it, but I'm thankful. Listen, I'm thankful for every person. Listen, we went to one home, and the man that was with me, he, I, we, we talked to this mother and her daughter, and I said, "Hey, you look like your high school, or middle school." And she says, "I am." I said, "Where do you go?" She, I said, "You go to John Muir." She says, "Yeah." And I said, "What grade are you?" She told me what grade she was. I said, "Do you know this girl's name?" And it happens to be the daughter of the man that was with me. She says, yeah, that's my best friend. I looked at the father and he looks, yeah, that's my daughter. Yeah, you know, that's pretty cool, you know. And I said, well, you know what? I think if you asked your best friend, she'd probably want you to come to our church this coming Saturday night. Amen. I was out this, this evening before, before church started. I was just uh, kind of looked over my notes and I had an extra hour I normally don't have. And I thought, you know, it's nice weather. I think I'm just going to, you know, everybody else is out doing things. or we got discipleship going on right now. I think I'm just going to go out and do some things. And went up one of our streets behind here, there. And I, it, about the very last door I got to, I went to home. And there's a man standing outside talking to two ladies. I said, hey. They looked at me. And he said, why do you say hey? Because, you know, you got to get their attention. Amen. You know. And they, they stopped and he said, what, what do you want? I said, well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm pastor around the corner here, Heritage Baptist Church. And, and boy, I sure like to have you come to our Easter musical. And I said, listen, we got this weekend's Easter musical. It's the only one we're going to have this year. It's Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon and Sunday night. And I showed them one of the flyers here. And by the way, we have about 2,500 left. Let's get, let, get them out. Amen. Start talking to them. Man said, I can't come. I said, oh, man, how come? He said, I'm going in Friday for cancer surgery. I said, what kind? He told me it spread. I said, well, what stage are you? He told me what stage is stage four. And at that moment of time, I said, Lord, thank you for helping me go on the street here. And I said, if you don't mind with these two ladies here, they're your neighbors and friends. He said, would you mind if I took a moment to pray for you? And I'll just tell you, I can tell you this. We prayed there on that porch and God met with us there on the porch there. You just don't know. An act of kindness like that, what God's going to do. Listen, we've got food for the hungry. Amen. 
We've got water for the thirsty. That's Jesus Christ there. And those four leprous men, they went back to the city. They told the porter, listen, we know you won't let us in, but we're going to tell you enough. You can find your way there. So notice what happens there. The people go out. And notice we see a satisfied assembly. And in verse 12, the Bible says, the king arose in the night and said unto his servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we be hungry. Therefore, are they gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field? You know, the problem with Jehoram, problem with Jehoram, the problem with him, he'd been so far away from God, he didn't have faith to believe anything. He was so skeptical. He was so sarcastic about everything. He didn't believe one thing. He, he started imagining that, well, they probably left to set us up. They're going to do something. I mean, you know, there comes a time, God, hey, brother and sister in Christ, a faith outlook looks at things and says, praise God, let's have a positive outlook. We don't try to look at things and compartmentalize and think that God's got some evil behind it or like they used to do in the Joe McCarthy era, like there's a communist in every closet, amen. Notice what happens here, verse, verse 12. They said, he said, well, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them live and get, get them. And so one of the servants, and, the, and by the way, I'm glad in the Bible there's some servants who've got some common sense. And one of his servants answered said, let, 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 let some take, I pray, the five of the horses that remain, which are left in the city. Isn't that mad? Can you imagine? They only have five horses left. I wonder if they ate all the other ones. They ate a donkey's head, so you know they're probably eating horses, Amen. And there's outside the camp is all these horses and donkeys that are tied out there. They can take back. They're going to more than replenish what they'd eaten. And they, they said, well, let, let us take the five remaining horses and let's just go out there, they said. And he says, behold, there are all the multitude of Israel that are left in it. Behold, I say, there are even as all the multitude of the Israelites that are consumed. Let us send and see. But you know what happens? Jehoram doesn't have faith. He says, well, I'll let you send two chariots. They took, therefore, two chariots of horses, and the king sent after the host of Syria, saying, Go and see. And they went after them unto Jordan. And notice verse 15. And lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels, which the Syrians had cast away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. And the people went out, and they spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel. Notice, according to the word of the Lord. Now, either we need to believe that this is God's book, and it's, and it's true, or we're living great sins of unbelief. Amen. Satisfied assembly. Recapsulize all this and we're almost done. We start off with this city that's encircled. Their food supply and water supply is cut off. And there's a great famine in the land. And they're wondering, how are we going to get a solution to this? And God is working in the back, back side there and things. And uh, they're, they get angry and they get mad. And they send some people down to Elisha. Their reason for going to Elisha was not to ask him for help. But God used it anyway. And Elisha comes and gives them a word from God. In chapter 7, verse 1, he says, let me tell you, hear ye the word of the Lord. He says, tomorrow... And that's exactly where we're at right now. 24 hours later, tomorrow, he said, God is going to take care of your need. He said, the, the encirclement will be gone. The food Christ will be solved. You'll have all that. And, and, and now the people of this place, where all that's transpired, because of four men who came to the city of all things, God took four outcasts, four men that were leprous, four men that were sinful, four men that were not allowed in the temple, and God used them. Let me tell you tonight, it doesn't matter if you can't speak, and it doesn't matter who you think you are not, and it doesn't matter you can't talk, and it doesn't matter you may not have the plan of salvation down very well. Let me tell you tonight, God can use old lepers like you and me. But there's one piece that's missing here. God doesn't fail. There's a satisfied assembly. God's, God has proven again His word is true. Exactly as the Lord said. I want you to notice we close that verses 17 20. Just as a caution to us. There's a suicidal exclusion. 
And the king appointed, verse 17, the Lord in whose hand it leaned upon him to have the charge of the gate. Now remember now, anybody sat in the gate or stood in the gate, we, we coined the term gatekeeper. He was in charge of overseeing the buying and selling. He was in charge of the administration. But really this guy, if you catch his attitude, he was kind of like a, the gatekeeper concept in HMOs. His gatekeeper concept was like, I really don't want you to get access to it. He really, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep you from getting the people who are making their way there. And do you notice what happens there? He sees this, and the Bible says in verse 17, and the king appointed the Lord in whose hand he leaned to have the charge of the gate, and the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died as the man of God had said, who spake when the king came down to him. Now, that's very interesting. Because what, what, what Elisha said to him, you shall see with your eyes, but you shall not eat thereof. And when he said that, there was a death sentence associated. But it doesn't materialize to us until we get down to verse 17 here. That the man is standing there in the gate. And he's trying to put some order to this assembly that's going on. But people are so hungry and people are so thirsty and people are so needy. They walk down there. They're running through there. And they just push this guy out of the way. So get out of the way. We don't carry your charge again. We've got to get to the food. There's a lot of food here and there's a lot of people here. And the city of Samaria is very big. We've got a lot of folks here and there's a lot of tents here. We've got to get out. And he tried to stop that. As he tried to get in the way, the people stampeded all over him. And they basically walked and people didn't even know they were walking this guy. Now we get to verse 18. And it came to pass as the man of God had spoken to the king. Now remember, remember this tonight. Most important thing you want to remember tonight. Is that God's word is truth. And God's word is absolute. Thank God for the lepers. But it's the word of God we must emphasize on. And it came to pass that the man of God has spoken to the king saying, Two measures of barley for a shekel and a measure of fine flour for a shekel shall be tomorrow about this time the gate. And the Lord answered the man of God and said, Now behold, isn't it interesting how God, line by line, word by word, reiterates for us the unbelief of this man? Now behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, might such a thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. Now, that's not the first time this happened in the Bible. It happened before in Numbers 13. That's our theme verse. Remember that? Twelve thieves went down to Kadesh Barnea. God already promised the land. He said, go survey it. Just bring back the fruit so we can show the people. We just want to encourage the people. They can see what's down there. They brought back a cluster of grapes. It's very big. Remember that? They come back with the cluster of grapes there, and Caleb got up, before Caleb could say anything, the ten of them said, yeah, there, there, you know, there's great grapes down there, there's great abundance and all those things, but we be few, and the people are many, they're like giants, we're like grasshoppers, we be not able to overcome them, we better not go. And Caleb spoke up and said, no man, we need to go, we are well, more well than able, we need to go, we need to get down there, I believe God has given it to us, we need to claim it, God wants to have it, and they said, no, we don't want it. And listen, they saw it with their eyes, but they did not eat their own. And we go to Numbers 14, and God precluded them from going to promise. Let me tell you something. If you don't believe in God, you don't believe that God is able, you don't believe that God can save souls, you don't believe in what God's program, you don't believe what God's word says, you're trying to carve out the word of God to fit what you want, like the NIV and these, tra- these translated situations there. If you're trying to get it to fit what you want, listen, you're going to see with your eyes, but you'll not taste thereof. I believe God's word is true. I believe God answers prayer. I believe God is relevant. I believe what God did here in in 1st, 2nd Kings 7. God still does today in the 21st century because God is not beheld by time. 
God's not beheld by our unbelief. Listen, we need to pray earnestly. There's 230 ribbons on that on that cross right there representing a minimum of 236 names that need to get saved that people ask us to pray for for their salvation. I hope you'll take some time to pray for them these next two days. I hope you'll take some time to maybe make, make, make certain of the fact there might be 400 names represented total on there. I'm just saying tonight, listen, we may not get another Eastern. I'm not playing this doom game with you. I'm just saying, what if we don't have another Eastern? What if Jesus should come in between after all this? I want Jesus to come knowing that we were worthy and that we were faithful and we did our part and we reached souls for Jesus. Say, listen, it ought not to be there are any more flyers left over. In fact, if anything, we want to be looking for more flyers and knock on more doors and get more people out to the Easter musical. And what an audience to get an opportunity just this weekend to get the gospel to hundreds of people. This man was excluded. God prevailed. He promised food for the people at affordable prices. He promised that the right-hand man of Jehoram would, not, would see it but not eat thereof. Suicidal exclusion. Many of you might know the name of Kevin Carter. 1993, Kevin Carter took a photo, photograph. Was one of the most, was, he's kind of considered among the 15 most stirring photographs. The photograph is taken on war-ravaged Sudan of a Sudanese child that's bloated over and bended over with hunger. And right behind the child is a vulture within a few feet of that child hovering over that child. And Kevin, Kevin Carter was a, won a Pulitzer Prize for that picture. When he took that picture and he got it off to the news... It wasn't long till he was getting messages from people all over the world. And this is really, really now, email was not anywhere near where it is today. They did not have text messages those days. And he's getting messages from all over the world. They said, that's a great picture. That's a very startling picture, Kevin. He said, they said, man, that is, that is so stirring. I mean, and there are people that saw the picture and tears were coming there on their eyes because they saw this little child there just barely make his way, barely have enough strength to make its way. And there was a UN food station not, not, not very far away. And so people knew about them. And so messages were coming to Kevin Carter and they're saying, Kevin, we've just got one question. They said, Kevin, did you get the food to the child? Did you get the food to the child? What happened to the child, Kevin? Did you get the food to the child? And Kevin said, well, you, you know, we, we, we got enough to get the, to the kid to get, get to the food station. But nobody can substantiate that. We know years later on that the father of the child was interviewed in 2011. And the father of the child said that, well, we know the child somehow did make it to the U.N. food station eventually. We don't have any, any documentation, but that's what the father says. But while Kevin Carter was alive, he was getting messages and the responses got back to that people were not happy with his message. They said, they said, did you get food to the child? They said, you had an opportunity to pick that child up and get that child to the UN food supply to get food to the child. And you left that child there and all you could tell is you just gave a little piece of a sandwich to help the child get to the station. And you don't know if the child made it. They said, what kind of man are you? You got the Pulitzer Prize, but you didn't help get the food to the child. And if you don't serve by Kevin Carter, Kevin Carter... For all that, within months after that, he committed suicide. And he wrote in his suicidal note, and you can find it on, on the internet. I've had it with all these kind of things. And as sad as that may be, I want you to imagine the Satan's vultures, Satan's birds, are circling around every time the word of God's being preached. The fowls of the air, which rep are pictured Satan's fowls, looking for this precious seed they can snatch out of people's hearts. 
those fowls looking to disrupt the services and disrupt the things of God. I'm just my prayer for you tonight. Let's not sit here till we die. Let's get the food to the children. Amen. Let's get the food out. Let's do our part. Let's get revved up. Let's get psyched out. Let's get going. Let's get stirred up in the Lord Jesus Christ to get the gospel to people. And pray earnestly for souls to be saved. Let's get past all the others in the minutia and let's pray for souls to be saved and for God's presence. And this room is overflowing Saturday night and Sunday morning. And people hearing receptive to the gospel. The choir and orchestra, spirit filled and used of God as the music's being sung. And they sing songs like, it is finished and I will arise and at the cross and things like that. As we pray for that, God will work in hearts. You do that with me. Please take some time tonight. We need to pray for this musical. We need to be all in for it. I'm going to invite you tonight to come to the altar. Not to sit where, where you're at, but come meet me at the altar tonight. Let's find our place here. Don't, don't, wear your, don't, don't wear your sackcloth on the inside. Amen. Don't wear your sackcloth on the inside. Don't have that false repentance like Jehoram. Take off your outer garment and show that you're true repentance. Let's, let's meet with God here at the altar tonight. Let's pray and saturate one more time tonight for this Easter musical. Where souls be say, you have lost ones that are coming. They need to come and hear the gospel. And I promise you, they're going to get the gospel. And they're going to get it lovingly. They're going to get it from God. And they're going to, the Lord's going to work in hearts. And we're praying for souls be saved. Father, tonight, thank you for Second Kings 6 and... And seven, as we conclude that section, this 13th miracle of, of the prophet Elisha. And Lord, it's just really some uh, very, very inspiring and stirring thoughts. Why sit we here until we die? And we do not good. And, and uh, if we hold our peace, this is not good. And, but Lord, what that stirring thought is to see it with our eyes, but not to eat thereof. God, we pray and confess, Lord, to all of us. We have the sin of unbelief and all of us, God, can get hard. And all of us can be doubtful like Thomas. And I'm praying, asking tonight, Lord, that you would stir our hearts for friends and colleagues, and brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and others we know to be here on, Friday, on Saturday night and Sunday morning. Bless the word of God. The Bible says the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. And tonight, Lord, we pray for liberty with which to preach. We pray for a large number of angels to camp about this property here at 2960 Merced Street and next door at 2950 Merced for parking. We pray, Father God, that you give us crowds that will come and people whose minds and schedules that will change and be here in church. We pray for the 236 or so uh, ribbons that are on that cross to represent precious names of people for whom Jesus died. We pray for their salvations. God, I pray you do something that we've never seen before. I pray you do something that will glorify you as we lift up Jesus and lift him up and lift him up. We pray you'll draw all men unto yourself. Father, tonight we come to you as heart with hearts that are burdened and, uh, Lord, hungry and concerned that you'd work. We commit this to you tonight in Jesus' name. As the piano plays, you stand with me. Meet, meet us here at the altar. Let's spend some time. Would you come with me tonight? Come with me this evening. Let's pray for this Easter musical. Let's, let's bombard the throne of grace tonight for the Easter musical. Would you join us tonight? Many have come. Would you come tonight? Bring your family tonight. Man, we've got people to reach. There's still two more days. Someone will come. Someone will respond. Let's come tonight. Let's come tonight. Would you come tonight? Let's have a burden for souls to be saved. You come tonight. Holy Spirit of God, we ask tonight that your convicting power will work, Lord, these next 48 hours as we give out all the flyers here. And God, make some contacts. Lord, we pray for positive responses to being attended Saturday night and Sunday morning. Save souls this weekend. Save people from desperate measures. Help some who perhaps no longer go to church and are very far from the Lord.
that these Easter services would draw them closer to you. I'm reminded tonight how Jesus went into that first night, that first day, he entered to the room where the disciples were and encouraged those men. He said, peace be unto thee. And God, there's some folks tonight who need to get reestablished in their peace with God. May God, you help us tonight that our faith will be increased this weekend. We'll see a great work of God. We'll see you pour out your spirit. We see that you'll do great things. And Father, help us to follow example these four leprous men who went out. And Lord, they did all they could to get the entire city food to the city and the city to the food. And Father, our goal is to get the city, to get the people to Jesus. And you help us tonight to do all we can to get folks to Christ. And Father, would you bless that the word of God that will be used on, on Saturday and Sunday would work in hearts. And we pray for your word to be a sharp two-edged sword. And we pray tonight that the spirit of God would reprove and convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. Save souls for your glory. Help us to have rejoicing that we know that, God, there's more joy in heaven over one soul that repenteth than over 99 that have already repented. And yet we're not asking for one. We're praying for hundreds of people saved all through the various events and services that will be held through the church. Father, would you use us tonight? We confess our weakness and our inadequacy. And we know tonight that, Lord, you'll do something great. And we're calling upon you to do that tonight for your glory. Help, Lord, put some more people in our hearts. Help us, Lord, tonight to honor you. And thank you tonight. We pray you'd bless and use the choir and all of our workers, Lord, for our ushers and our nursery workers and the AV system. We pray everything would go smoothly for your glory. And we pray that through this that just much would be done for the glory of God. Now, we commit this to you. We thank you for what you'll do. We thank you for souls being saved. Thank you for the power of God. All this we commit to you and pray for now in Jesus' name. Amen. We still have some a lot of flyers in the back. And let me encourage you tonight. We also have um, the booklets. Um, you, could, you can give these out, too. We probably have about 300 of the booklets left there. So, I mean, if the flyers are going to take some of these, and they're very graphic and just explaining things, and you can give the gospel people would try to take what you can to get them out. We still have some treasure hunt cards, and hundreds were given out today. We're just a lot this week. Probably going into tomorrow, I, I probably imagine there's probably about 1,200, 1,300 been given out already this uh, through to today, maybe more than that. So you just help us to do your part. And uh, if you need a partner, go so just call us up here. We'll get you partnered up with somebody to go. But to, to the next three days, we're doing the best we can. Now, now let me indulge you for just a minute for a couple of things. Saturday morning for soul winning, organized soul winning, we're going to have two times. There will be no challenge. We're under tight timelines on Saturday. Nine o'clock, we have an early bird uh, dismissal for those who can go at nine o'clock. And then we have a regular time at 10 o'clock to go. We pretty much, for most people, will have to be wrapped up around 11.30 because we have the treasure hunt, which is not far from here, and we want to give adequate time for folks to make it to there. Now, so folks can still go if you want. If you're not involved with the treasure hunt, that's a good thing, okay? And then Saturday night, ushers, all ushers, we're getting the word out. I need ushers to meet with me at 4.30, and then there's another group. I think the altar workers are meeting me with at 4.45, and then I'm going to meet with the choir and orchestra at 5. But uh, this room is where we're going to have the Easter musical, we're going to reserve the main auditorium. It's going to be set up so that altar workers, as people raise their hand, indicate their need for Christ. We're going to take them over to the main auditorium after Saturday night or Sunday, uh, Saturday night for Saturday night only. And we'll take them over there to be counseled with. And then Sunday morning, we're going to just do the best with our, our limited facilities around here for that. But uh, if you can be much in prayer and uh, for that, we just need everyone to be at their top. On Sunday morning, we're running our regular Sunday school hour, but a little bit more modified. We're not, we're asking all the teachers, please do not have a heavy duty lesson. We need everyone to be done by 10 and moving over here. If you are in the choir and orchestra, you need to dismiss yourself by 5 to 10. Choir and orchestra, you need to dismiss yourself from, at 5 to 10 on Sunday morning to meet, meet over here. 
same for that. And then we're starting right at 1015 on, 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 on Sunday morning to roll with that. Saturday night, we're starting right at 530. So get, tell your guests to get here on time. There'll be, we're trying to get as much parking next door as possible. We're very thankful for the people next door. They're not charging us extra to park there for Saturday night. They graciously said we can park there. So we're going to be filling up here and over there. Please, as you bring guests, do not have them walk into the, the new, new, new construction. It's very dangerous there, especially after dark. We don't want anybody going over there. It's very dangerous for them. But bring them here. And then at the conclusion of the service on Saturday night, when it's done and we've gone through decisions and things, uh, we're going to have a meet and greet time. We're going to encourage you to bring your guests over to the chapel. I'm going to be over there to try to meet people, and we're going to do the best we can to capture information uh, up front and during that time so we've got everybody captured there for follow-up. Our goal as we, we see decisions is try to work towards a, a couple of baptismal Sundays later in April. We have a number of people we're lining up already for the month of April, quite, in fact, quite a few for April this month, and uh, we're looking forward to a lot of the decisions getting saved that they'll get lined up for, for that as well there too. So help us with that. We're going to have decision packs. If you're an altar worker, make sure Saturday night you're here at 445 to get a de- the decision packets that you need so you can give those to people that make re- responses. Now, the rest of you, do what you can. If you bring guests, make sure you try to introduce them to me. I want to get a chance to meet your guests. And then we want to get all the collection of cards and decisions on that so we can we can ride on top of that first thing on Monday on that. So it's going to be a great day. And then Sunday night, we're going to wrap all that up with the Lord's table. That'll be a blessing. Amen. And we're going to rejoice in the Lord. It's going to be a wonderful time. So just help us with that. Be on time for those things. And we're praying for just a great, great day that God's going to give us on Saturday and Sunday. Pray for souls to be saved. Ask for God to work. We have, we have everything pretty much covered in terms of safety, first aid, all of those things. If you have any questions, come see me or one of the, the staff. We'll be more than glad to help with that. So grab some flowers on the way out. Pray mildly for God to work. Thank you for being here. I love you. God loves you. We're praying for God to do some great things. The rapture comes before that. I'll see you up in heaven. Amen. God bless you.